Well, hello, Arbor. It is a joy and an honor to be with you remotely today. My name is Mike Howerton, and I have been a pastor and a follower of Jesus for the last 30 years or so. Uh, But most importantly for our context, I am a a, a huge fan and friend of Pastor Jake and Davey, and I love the work that God's doing through their leadership here at Arbor. And I am delighted about this series that we're in. I've I've watched the last couple of messages to, to view the life and the ministry of Jesus through the person of Peter. Just a brilliant creative concept. So it's a a joy to be with you today. When I was growing up, I realized that my dad was an incredible teacher. He would come up with all these rules and he would number them and then he would kind of grill us. He would say, what's rule number one? Rule number one was believe in yourself. So he said, what's rule number one? We say, believe in ourselves. And he said, that's right. Good rule. Rule number two. He said, what's rule number two? Rule number two was keep your eye on the ball, which is really helpful for baseball. Uh, Rule number three was never trust a bear, which always confused me because we lived in the suburbs of Southern California and never saw bears down there. But I will tell you that to this day, I have never loaned my car or my pin number to a bear. That's a dumb joke. And if you were all here live, no one would still be laughing. So... What I want you to know is that we learn in some specific ways. One of the ways we learn, the most thorough way we learn, is by making mistakes, especially if those mistakes are painful. For example, if you have ever put your hand on a hot stove, you know that you will never make that mistake again. You'll learn from that mistake absolutely thoroughly. But unfortunately, or fortunately rather, we can't make all the mistakes ourselves. And this is why God allows us to learn from the experiences of others. Friends, this is why it's so important for us to have a mentor or a coach in our lives, somebody who's a little older, maybe a little bit wiser, who can help teach us life lessons and and even understand the person and the character of God a little bit more deeply. I want you to know that Peter had this kind of a coach in his life. Peter had the world's greatest mentor. It was the person of Jesus. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Peter the learner. And we're going to take a look at some of the lessons that Peter was able to learn. And you're going to see what Peter learned. And hopefully you're going to learn a couple of things. But but most importantly, what we're going to learn is about the care and the love of Jesus for us. So we'll take a look at three unique episodes in the life of Peter, his time with Jesus. The first is what Peter learned through the temple tax miracle. And it starts in Matthew 17, verse 24, following. I'm going to go ahead and read. It says, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. And these are some lessons that Peter was learning, lessons that we'll learn too. And the first is that God is the king and that we are his children. God is our king and we are his kids. And this means that we have a special connection, an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. I know many of you are parents. You need to know about me that that my greatest joy is to be the father of three incredible human beings. 
And it's hard for me to describe how much I delight in each one of them, how much I love them completely and yet uniquely. And this is how God loves you. And often over the course of our family life, I have been the early riser in our home. I'd be the one to get up early and go down into my home office and spend the time in study and scripture and prayer. And, and I love to journal. So that would be what I would be going after in the early mornings. And, and I remember when my son, at the time he was three years old, my son Caleb discovered that I would get up early. And so he would start getting up early and getting out of bed and coming downstairs and and often I would make him a warm milk in his favorite cup, and I'd snuggle with him on the couch, and we'd read Hardy Boys together. Well, one time I was in my home office. I was actually stretched out on the carpet in my office, and I had my Bible and my journal and a cup of coffee by my elbow. And I heard the little pitter-patter of Caleb's feet, and, and he came down the hall and into my office, and he didn't say anything. He just came over to me, and he laid down on my back. And he put his head on my head like a pillow and his feet barely stretched to my lower back and, and he just laid there with me. And I remember just filling up with joy. I remember just being so amazed that I was having this experience of, of connection with my son. And I remember saying to Jesus, Jesus, I had no idea how good this parenting gig could be. And then now the quiet morning, Caleb says, Dad, can I ask you a question? I said, oh, buddy, sure, anything. And I'm thinking, I am ready. I'm ready to answer questions about life or love or faith or girls or the stock market, you know, anything. He says, Dad, did you know lizards can lick their eyeballs? And I didn't. I didn't know that. And so I was very thankful to be informed by that fact in nature. And, and I remember saying to Jesus, Jesus, I never knew how random it could be to be a parent. But I want you to understand that there's that beautiful connection that, that we have with our children, that children have with their parents. You know, if you have kids at home and they are in elementary school or younger, you, they're still adorable. They're still cute. They're still precious. They still believe you when you tell them things. You see, my home is filled with teenagers. So while we're quarantined against, you know, COVID-19, we are quarantined together in a house filled with snark and and it reminds me of this quote from Jim Gaffigan. He says, there should be a children's song. If you're happy and you know it, keep it to yourself and let your dad sleep. <laughs> uh, I, I like that one. Anyway, that was for free. What I want you to know is that there is this beautiful connection, this bond between a father and his children, between a mother and her children, between God, our king, and his children. We are his kids, and he delights in us. And then Jesus says this, but so that we may not cause offense. This brings us to the next lesson here, which is Jesus doesn't want to cause, and he doesn't want Peter to cause, and he doesn't want us to cause offense. Let us not cause offense. And that's why the scripture says, as much as it's possible with you, live at peace with everyone. See, right now, it might be one of those times where it's taxing to try to live at peace with those that you are, you know, bound in the house with. You might be going a little bit of stir crazy, have some cabin fever. And so my encouragement for you is to breathe deeply today and ask the Lord to provide his patience and his peace 
over you. Remember that his peace, the peace that he gives is not as the world gives. Jesus says, look, in this world, you will have quarantines and coronavirus, but take heart, he says, because I have overcome the world. And so Jesus is teaching Peter, not only that God is king and he is our father and the kids are exempt, but we don't want to cause offense in this world. And so Peter, or so Jesus says this, so Peter, do this right now. And he tells Peter what to do. He says to Peter, but so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. <laughs> Friends, this is not one of the coolest miracles in all of scripture. You see, Capernaum is on the north edge of the Sea of Galilee, and Peter is a fisherman. It's what he's good at, and so Jesus says, hey, you do you. Throw your line into the Sea of Galilee and open up the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you'll find exactly what you need to pay the tax required. And that means that Jesus is teaching Peter and he's teaching you and I that God will provide for our needs. God will provide for our needs. The Lord delights to provide exactly what his children need. And I'm thinking, friends, this is a very timely lesson for us in this season of virus fears and economic uncertainty. Friends, I want you to think about your life for just a second. I want you to think over the course of your entire life, look back and see how God has provided for you every step of the way. God has been with you and he's provided for you clothing and he's provided food for you and he's provided housing for you and, and throughout the entire course of your life, you have been able to trust that he has been faithful to you and his promises that he will continue to be faithful to you. He will continue to meet your needs because he knows what we need because he is our king and we are his kids and he cares for his kids. And I don't want you to miss this. He provides in ways that we never could have expected. He provides in ways that are absolutely beyond the realm of possibility. Ways we didn't even know were options. Think about this. He, there's a tax refund in the mouth of a fish. Come on, who saw, that, who saw that coming? Nobody saw that coming. And that's what Peter gets to learn. And that's what you and I get to learn as well. That God is both our king and our father. That we are his children. And that living with children means that living as children of God means that we don't cause offense, but rather we trust that God is the one who delights in providing for our needs. Okay, the second lesson we see is what Peter learned through the forgiveness story. And this is found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So what Peter was learning here, and what you and I are learning as well, is that forgiveness is to be offered far more than feels natural. And honestly, I don't know that forgiveness ever feels natural, do you? It is never our first response that when people wrong us or betray us, we go, ow, that hurt. I can't wait to forgive that person. That just doesn't happen. That's not our first response. We naturally want to get back at the person who has wounded us. And friends, aren't you glad that that's not God's first response toward us? 
Aren't you glad that that's not God's response when we wound or sin against him? Anyway, in the story, Peter thinks he's being magnanimous, right? He says, Jesus, I've got this guy, and he sinned against me once, and I forgave him. And then he did it again, and I forgave him. And I just want to know, how many times am I supposed to do this? And he's thinking of a high number, like, like, like seven times? And Jesus He says, oh, Pete, not seven times, but 77 times. And and scholars will tell you that this expression, 77, it's it's symbolic for wholeness. It's symbolic in the idea that it's exponentially more than expected. It's symbolic even for infinity. In other words, Christians are called to forgive an infinite number of times because that's how many times we have been forgiven by God. You see, when a Christian fails to forgive, they are living inconsistent with the infinite forgiveness of God for them. And then to hammer this idea home, Jesus tells Peter a story. It's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it's, it's a story of a servant who is forgiven a huge debt by his king. Let's say he's forgiven $100,000 by this king. The king just wipes it clean. But then that same servant, the next day goes and he finds a guy who owes him $50. And he demands to be paid. He won't forgive. And the king is angry. He says, you wicked servant. I forgave you so much and you couldn't forgive your friend just a little bit. And what Jesus wants us to understand in this story is that God is our king who forgives us beyond measure. He forgives us beyond measure. Friends, there's nothing that you can't uh, confess to God because there's nothing that he won't forgive. And he forgives us more deeply than we will ever know. You know, there's this beautiful verse in Revelation chapter 21 where it talks about Jesus wiping every tear from our eyes. And I've always wondered about that. Why is it that we have so many tears in our eyes as we're entering into heaven? And one of the thoughts I have, maybe the reason we're all crying, is that we are given a glimpse, a chance to see in a single instant the cost of our sin. We're we're given a chance to see the way our sin impacted other people and the way it wounded the heart of God. Maybe we're, we're given a chance to see the actual price that Jesus paid to purchase forgiveness for us. And it hits us hard. It's like, whoa, I never saw this so clearly before. And then Jesus wipes our tears from our eyes. And he says, I really do forgive you. Your sin truly is gone forever, and we enter into an eternity of gratitude. You see, the point of the story, first and foremost, is that God is our king who forgives us mightily. And the second lesson here is that he takes forgiving us seriously, so he seriously wants us to forgive. The Lord is so serious about forgiving us, so serious that it cost a cross. It cost Jesus being crucified on Calvary. So yes, forgiveness is serious business to God. And because of the work of Jesus, it's complete. Because of the work of Jesus, it is given freely. Because of the work of Jesus, it is given without condition. But friends, because of that, he demands that we take seriously forgiving others. So Peter's learning from Jesus that God will always provide and that the primary thing that God wants to provide us is forgiveness. 
And there's one more scene that we learn from, that we see what Peter learned at the transfiguration experience. This is found in Matthew 17, starting in verse 1 and following. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it is wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We're going to stop there. It is so interesting, this vision, this, this transformation of Jesus that happens. And I want you to picture him just suddenly shining brilliantly. And, and Peter sees Jesus placed in rare and elite company, right? Jesus is giving the same place of honor and splendor as Moses and Elijah. And, and here's what's interesting. Moses is the human metaphor of the law, and Elijah is the personification of the prophets, right? He's the metaphor of the law, the type of scripture that God, you know, brought up to about through him, and, and Elijah, the, the metaphor, the personification of the prophets, and the type of scripture that God revealed through him. And, and Peter senses in a moment how special all of this is. This is his rabbi, Jesus, being elevated and transformed to the same place, the same status, the same level as his heroes, Moses and Elijah, as the law and the prophets. And so he interrupts everything. He says, guys, this is so special. We can't miss this. Let, let me make a couple of shelters. Let me, let me make these memorials so that we will always remember that Jesus was elevated to the same level as Moses and Elijah. But then the father interrupts him because he wants to communicate something beautiful. It says, even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus. Isn't that amazing? There's such profound affirmation from the Father here. Yes, there's this elevation, but not to the same level of the law and the prophets. You see, God isn't saying that Jesus is on the same level as these other guys, these Old Testament heroes. God is actually saying they fade away, but Jesus remains. In fact, when the disciples look up, they see only Jesus because Jesus is the pinnacle expression of God's heart. And so there's some lessons that Peter learns and and that we learn as well. Number one, the father is uniquely proud of Jesus. The father's uniquely proud of his son, Jesus. He says, this is my son, He is dearly loved. He brings me great joy. Friends, this is such beautiful confirmation of what Jesus himself says. You remember that Jesus says, hey, I only say what my father tells me to say. I only do what my father tells me to do. And and this is God the father saying, yes, and it brings me joy. Yes, in Jesus, I am well pleased. This is confirmation of Jesus' words. The second thing we learn is that Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus 
is what God has to say. You know that the scripture says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to know what God is like? Take a look at Jesus. He's the perfect snapshot of who God is. Uh, and there are many quotes, or many scholars, many philosophers, many theologians that talk about this. Pastor Brian Zahn says, Jesus is what God has to say. Pastor Bill Johnston says, Jesus is perfect theology. Even C.S. Lewis talks about how the fact that Jesus is the word of God that has become flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And of course, this is all from John chapter 1. But I want you to understand, this is the most important thing that God is communicating to us. It's the tangible expression of his love in the person of Jesus himself. And the last lesson here is that because Jesus is what God has to say, we need to listen to him. And that's how God ends his time on that mountain. He says, listen to him. Listen to him. Learn from him. Peter, you're doing right by listening and learning and following him. And, and God has this urgency as he communicates, this is my son. Listen to him. I've recently had an experience where there's a slight analogy to, I think, what's going on here. I, I was stepping away just recently from Overlake Christian Church after 15 years investing in ministry there in order to start a coaching and speaking practice. And, and my, as my last Sunday at Overlake neared, I found myself thinking about all kinds of things that I wanted to share with the congregation, all kinds of encouragements and exhortations, all kinds of lessons we'd learned along the way, all kinds of encouragements for the future journey that I know we're all going to take. And, and yet I had so much that I wanted to say, I ended up just boiling it all down to a very short, very sincere, and very important truth. And I've, I realized that's what God the Father is doing right here. He's teaching Peter and the disciples with great urgency. Look, don't miss this. He is the key. Don't miss this. He is the crux. Don't miss this. He is the most important thing I can say because he is the most important thing there is. Don't miss my son, Jesus. Friends, I'm so thankful that Peter was a learner who learned that God provides, that forgiveness is serious business, and that the word of God wants us to follow Jesus. He's God in the flesh. And, and so I want to close by asking, how does Peter the learner inspire us today? And real quickly, I would say the first lesson we can learn from Peter and his posture is that you and I can become perpetual learners. We can become a perpetual learner in our lives. In other words, we are all in process. We are all on a journey. And so I want to challenge you, don't peak early, right? This is a phrase I heard. I ended up going for my undergraduate degree. I went to a school called Pepperdine University, which is located in Malibu, California, right near the ocean. And I remember my sophomore year, we were 19 years old. My friend Jen had this apartment in a place called Tivoli. And it was right overlooking a private beach that she had access to. And she had a back deck and it had a 200 degree view of the coastline. It was just absolutely gorgeous. And her father had come to visit. I was a family friend, and so I was there. And I remember her dad looking around at all of this, you know, ridiculous beauty we were surrounded by. And he said, he said guys, come here, come here. I want to tell you this. It is a shame to have peaked so early in your life. 
<laughs> and he was absolutely right. Uh, the idea of living on the beach in Malibu, California, it's pretty much out of reach for, for most of us, certainly for me. But I want you to understand that in your journey with Jesus, you don't ever have to peek. In your journey with Jesus, there is no reason at all that we would peek as long as we take the posture of a learner. As long as we take the posture of Peter, we will always be able to grow. We will always be excited to take the hand of Jesus and allow him to lead us deeper into intimacy with him, deeper into obedience with the Father. And, and if, if we're going to do this, there is one thing required, and it's the last lesson we'll talk about today. And it's the lesson that humility is required for learning. Humility is required for learning. You see, Jesus doesn't mind us asking questions. He doesn't mind us probing. He doesn't mind us even making mistakes as long as we're seeking to learn and to grow, as long as we want the answers that he has to give. And, and I want you to understand that Peter was a lifelong learner. And it's not because he didn't make mistakes. I know he did, you know he did through the course of this series. You're going to see that Peter makes mistakes. But, friends, he was always humble and he was ready to learn. And because of this, Jesus chose to build his church upon the leadership of Peter, the disciple. And this is why Peter can write with absolute integrity these words. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. So friends, let us humble ourselves before the Lord. Let us be willing to listen to and learn from him like Peter. Because then in the right time, in his time, he will lift us up. Would you pray with me now? Let's pray.